emotion, no, I just a cold rock, a party, and I do the show. I said I met these three guys, and you know it's true. So let me tell you and explain them all to you. I met this dude with the name of a hat. I didn't even walk away. I didn't give him no rap, but then he got real mad. And he got a little tired. If he worked for me, you know he would be fired. He was a king, go, and that is true. But he ain't got no money, and he ain't got no loot. And every time that I see him, he's always a begging. And all the other girls that he's always trying to leg in. Every time that I see him, he says, I'm wrong. But compared to me, they're weak compared to mine. And every time that I know that I am saying something fresher, in any category, I'm considered the best. And every time that I say it, there ain't nothing left. And everybody knows I will win the contest. Then after that, came the educated rapper. His fingers start to snap her, and my hands start to clap her. Every time that I see her, everything he say, he rock her to the beat and he come up this way. He said, yeah, you know your mother's. Her name is Mary. And from what I heard, your father is a fairy. But every time I see him, I'm saying something new. But let me explain to him what he should do. He should be like me, a fly MC. Don't never have to bite. We'll always write. I have the freshest rhymes that I do recite. And after that, and you know it's true. But let me tell you something else about the doctor, too. He ain't really cute and he ain't great. He don't even know how to operate. He came up to me with some crabbish rap. But let me tell you something, don't you know it was whack? So when he came up to me, I told him to step back. He said, you call yourself an MC? I said, this is true. He said, explain to me really what MCs must do. I said, listen very close, because I don't say this every day. My name is Roxanne, and they call me Shante. But every time that I say a rhyme, I just like a dissa. It is something your MC can't miss her. So Kango, if you think it's cute, you think it's all right. That's why you said it in a language, so you wouldn't have to bite. You started talking pig Latin, didn't make no sense. You thought you was cute, yeah, you thought you was a prince. You're walking down the block, you're the one you're gonna clock, and everybody knows that you're all on my yacht. I'm just a devastating, always rocking, always have the flag that's clocking. Everybody knows it's me, the R-O-X-A-N-N-E. Everyone knows I am fresher, any category better. Every time I start to write, everyone is just a bite. Every time I do it, yeah, you know it is a meal. Rocking on a beat, as you can see. So the UTFO crew, you know what you can do. Let me tell you one for me, and then I'll tell you one for you. Every time you say a rhyme, just a like a this one. It ain't nothing that I don't want to miss up. And if you dig it right and I'm biting your beat, well, then you just better know and listen to me. Because my name is Roxana and I came to say I rock it to the beater and I do it this way. I'm conceited, never beat it, never heard of defeated. I rock it to the beater and you know it is a Mia, the R-O-X-A-N-N-E. And if you want to play a little game for me, let me show you what you can do, baby. Because with a twist of my cheek and a twist of my wrist, I have all the guys dropping down like this. Yeah, I am fly. That I must admit, but everybody knows I don't go for it. So if you're trying to be cute and you're trying to be fine, you need to cut it out because it's all in your mind. Trying to be like me, yeah, it is very hard. You think you a god, but you do eat lord. Trying to be cute and you're trying to be fly. Don't you know you wish you could be my guy so I could take you home, make you relax. And everybody knows that you're out there trying to tax. Like porn on a car, you're always trying to rob. You need to be out there looking for a job. Yeah, you're trying to be and talk about Roxanne. But let me let you know, you're not a real man. Because the Roxanne needs a man. And yes, someone fresh to always dress. Someone, yeah, who will never fess. And then I'll say, yeah, forget the rest. You gotta be cute and you're trying to be fly. But all you wanna be is Roxanne's guy. Because I turned you down without a frown. Embarrassed you in front of your friends. Made you look like a clown. And all you do is get real mad. And you talk about me and make me look bad. And everybody knows how the story goes. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts or suppose. No coke up your nose, no dope in your veins. And then it won't cause no kind of pain. But yet and still... You're trying to be fly. I ask-
ask you a question, I want to know why. Why'd you have to make a record about me? The R-O-X-A-N-N-E.
can never be stopped. <laughs> see, it's three of us, and I know we're fresh. Party rockers, non-stoppers, and our names are Death. See, the J is for just, the other for jamming. The F is for fresh, A-N-D, Death. Behind the turntables is DJ Train. Mixing and scratching is the name of the game. Now, here's a little something about nosy people. It's not real hard, it's plain and simple, baby, baby D. D. J. Fad, Supersonic, Bro Diallo Show, Q4 Radio. That was the hip-hop classic coming straight out of the West Coast. Supersonic, 
performed by J.J. Fad, preceded by Finesse and Sequence, the Sisters of Soul, and we were opened up this morning by the ultra classic, one of my favorite tracks of all time, Roxanne's Revenge, performed by the legendary Roxanne Shante. And if you haven't seen the bio flick of Roxanne Shante um, on Netflix, you should check it out. I watched it. You know, it's some hip hop history. Well casted. You know, not, not it's it's not a cinematic masterpiece, but I mean if you're especially from that era or if you're a fan of that era of hip hop, you should definitely check out um Roxanne's uh biopic, Roxanne Shante's biopic on Netflix. Um, moving on. Um speaking of biopics on Netflix, while we're on the topic, going off script again. That's how I do. So you know, I have always been a fan of Rudy Ray Moore since I was looking looking I was the biggest fan in the world of Rudy Ray Moore and a few weeks several weeks ago shortly after it came out I watched my Dolomite is my name and I was such a big fan in the era of VHS camcorders my friends my homies uh uh Troy and uh Sage we would um reenact scenes from Dolomite movies and play them back for ourselves because we were so this is prior to the internet and I don't think those tapes will ever pop up on the internet because we also used to tape our hip-hop routines our dance routines on that for uh, the early manifestation of the the inner city natives shout out Jason Bo everybody but early renditions of our, our, our dance routines, we would also, they got taped over, so don't ever think you're going to see some uh, Bro Diallo, teenage, high school age Bro Diallo acting out scenes from Dolomite and Rudy Ray Moore's other movies, Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, Dolomite Part 2, y'all know there was a sequel to Dolomite called The Human Tornado. <laughs> the Human Tornado. But anyway, all I'm saying is it was a magnificent movie. Well acted. Well scripted. Well shot. Magnificent movie. I loved it and I enjoyed it. And they're saying that this movie has revived, reinvigorated Eddie Murphy's career. And it's going to, because of My Name is Dolomite and all the buzz from My Name is Dolomite, um, his upcoming um, Made in America 2 shot at the anti-union, non-unionized Tyler Perry studio. That's a whole nother discussion. We might touch back on that. Uh, it, there's a lot of buzz and, and, and high anticipation. And they say Eddie Murphy is back. His comedic and acting, writing, scripting skills are back. And everyone's looking forward to it. So Rudy Ray Moore's has revived Eddie Murphy's career. And the string of critically hated box office bombs that that Eddie Murphy put out. So I'm like, okay, I can't, okay, I'm reloaded. I'm fine, whatever. That is, I enjoyed the movie. I appreciate him doing the movie. Um, it really brought back a lot of positive memories from my childhood with, with uh, um, Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite character. But then I later heard, because I can't have nothing. I can't have nothing in this life. I, I just can't. Y'all ask why I can't be positive. There's somebody out there. I can't. I have to start remembering this dude's name. Always insisting that I say something positive and be positive. And why am I so negative? But this is why. I later learned 
that Rudy Ray Moore was a great admirer throughout the 80s. Throughout the 80s, throughout his career, because Rudy Ray Moore's peak was in the 70s. And he started his decline in popularity and health throughout the 80s. But the 80s and 90s, during Eddie Murphy's peak, during trading places, his his legendary... Oh, no. Sorry about that. Uh, all right. Sorry about that. Um, through his Beverly Hills Cop, uh, trading places, um, what's the other? His stand-up raw and delirious. Rudy Ray Moore was a big, big supporter and a great admirer of Eddie Murphy. And when he did his movie um, Harlem Nights, it was a homage to go back and watch Harlem Nights. And he's got all these old comics. Some people, uh, Red Fox and and other comedic legends in that movie. And that movie was a, basically a homage to black comedians, black performers. Black people who paved the way for Eddie. He brought all them. Richard Pryor was his co-star because he wanted to demonstrate his acknowledgement of people who paved the way for him and Rudy Ray Moore had a very strong desire to at the very least have a non-speaking cameo role just to be in the crowd to sit in the bar to sit on the side of the table during the 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 hilarious uh crap game but none of this came to pass because Eddie Murphy according to Rudy Ray Moore's people wanted nothing to do with Rudy Moore uh Rudy Ray Moore had no respect, no love, and did not want to be in the same room or considered in the same category as Rudy Ray Moore. Which, this has greatly stained. I'm not going to, I had every intention of watching that movie again. And not only that, they did, Eddie Murphy, and I understand, you know, you diss people, sometimes your taste refines, whatever. And you can say, listen, I didn't do right by this man in his past. I'm going to try to do right by him going forward. But he, I haven't heard Eddie Murphy acknowledge any of this. Any regret that he didn't respect or give Rudy Ray Moore his just due. So I, now I'm like, man, let me, I tell you what. Y'all can have that movie. I'm not watching it again. And, and real talk, son. If I had known this before. Because I don't, I don't know what goes on behind the curtain. I'm a fan. You know, I talk to some of these, these uh, hip-hop legends and, and people that I know. Uh, King Dita, he knows a lot of the backstage hip-hop stuff from, from our era. I was out in the crowd. Dita was on the stage. He was backstage. He was at the hotel room on the tour buses. And he tells me these stories, and I'm like, no, no. Ice Cube was a real gangster. KRS-One is a real African revolutionary. I don't want to hear no other parts. Just ruining my fantasies. So I talk to him. Wise Intelligent tells me some stories. I'm like, damn, son. Yo. So, I, I mean, I like the, the myths. There's enough harsh, unpleasant realities that we have to deal with. So every time, again, when I can escape into the fantasy of the movies or the, the baseline of a, a conscious hip-hop track. Can I have that? Nope, I guess I can't. There is no sanctuary for Bro Diallo psychologically, emotionally. So that really disgusted me. And I could see even if you did that, if there was somebody alive today that I didn't do right by and they passed on and I've come to appreciate their greatness, I'm going to at least say, listen, I didn't do right by this person in life. 
And I have to acknowledge that. But if from here forward, as far as their legacy, I'm going to preserve and cultivate and spread their legacy. But I have to acknowledge that I didn't I should have done it while they were alive. That would have been enough for me. I don't I don't ask for much. So the the My Name is Dolomite movie is forever tainted, but that's fine because I just saw on Hulu that the original Dolomite, the original Rudy Ray Moore movies are on Hulu. So I'm just going when I need some 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 reflecting, when I need some time, when I got some downtime, I'm going to go back and watch the original movies. You're wrong, Eddie Murphy. You're wrong for that. You know, at least he brought Richard Pryor, he claimed, but but if you look at Rudy Ray Moore's old material, even his mannerisms and his costuming, and you go look at Raw, and you go look at Delirious, you tell me Rudy Ray Moore had more of an impact on Eddie Murphy than, than Richard Pryor did. From my observations. I ain't saying Richard Pryor didn't, but, you know, Eddie Murphy drew from everywhere. But if I, I see more of young Rudy Ray Moore in early Richard Pryor. And I think Eddie did right by Richard, acknowledged his influence, brought him on to the movie set, did co-starred in a movie at the height of Eddie Murphy's career. He had power to bring people on and revive people's career or at least give people a proper send off at the end of their career. He should have done that for Rudy Ray Moore. And it's very ironic that as Rudy Ray, as Eddie Murphy was on his decline as far as his career, he uses a man who he didn't give any respect to, any acknowledgement to. And again, let's hear it from Eddie. Eddie don't even speak about the history. Eddie going to make money. Eddie going to revive his career. And Eddie's going to use that movie, the success of that movie, as a springboard for a whole new genre of movies. And he ain't even going to tell it. I, I, don't, I don't play like that. I don't like it. And I'm not going to participate in it. Speaking of, you know, dissing, not giving people their proper respect. I just want to say one thing about public frenemy. (laughs) Public frenemy. And Chuck D and Flavor Flav. And I want to say that that this conflict hit me in my heart. It busts me in my chest. And let me tell you why. And some of y'all going to really relate to this. And if you can't intimately, deeply relate to this understanding that I'm talking about here, then you're, you're on the other side. Because most friendships, most working relationships, fall down into a Chuck D and a flavor type thing. Chuck D, and here's the thing about being the solid dude. Being the solid dude. The, 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 the rock type dude. The dude that can be depended on. The dude that was more low key. The dude that would focus on on holding everybody together. And people come to expect you to be that solid dude. And they hold you to a higher standard. And then you get around these messy people that you look out for, that you take personal, that you take on yourself to be personally responsible for. Make sure they're sustained. Intended to. And then those people it's it's the non-reciprocal relationship where these people think you should take care of me, you should look out for me, you should represent for me. But when it comes for me representing for you, they have this mentality that, oh, you a solid dude. You don't have no problems. You don't struggle. You always hold a job. You always uh, uh, pay your bills. You always got a car. Your phone is always on. 
So you don't need nothing from me, but I need everything from you. And when you don't do for me, you're a horrible person, even though you can't turn around and see what I've done for you. I've been in those relationships. I've been in those relationships where I'm the only dude sober in the car, making sure everybody else get home safely. I'm the only dude trying to calm stuff down. We we in the streets and I'm like, yo, let's go home. Let's let's survive this night. Let's not die. Where everybody else want to play the gangster role. Everybody want to rep and, 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 and inflate their egos. And I'm the one dude that's going to humble myself and say, let's calm all this down. And I take it to make get making sure everybody's safe. I'm that dude when the dude's like my girl, my mama. I got kicked out. I ain't got nowhere to stay. I'm like, I got a couch, extra bedroom. I got I got a hotel room for you. Like, I got a job interview and boom, boom, boom. I'm a t- Dude, you tell me you got a job interview. And on that day, two hours before your interview, I'm banging on your door like, get up. Get your clothes. Come on, let's find you a nice outfit. We're going to get you there on time. I'm taking more responsibility for your life than you do. And the one time I stand up and like, yo, I need something. They're like, what? You'll be all right. Like, you're not going to be there for me. You're good, man. You don't have problems like me. You don't struggle like I do. And you don't want to be doing this tally. I know. You don't want to be tallying up. You don't want to keep a a, a spreadsheet. You don't want to keep an invoice of everything you've done. But then it all comes boiling back like, damn, this is a one-sided relationship. This is an exploitative relationship. I've been holding this person down, representing this person. And the one time it's two things. You can ask them for something and they don't deliver for you or they can ask something of you and you're not in a position and you're unwilling to do for them. I know a dude. I'm not going to say no names. I from from high school when I barely had a place to stay, and I would provide this dude shelter for two reasons. Number one, his mom hated him and was always throwing him out. Number two, he was always on the run from the cops. Always on the run from the police. Always. Always had warrants and outstanding uh, in part of investigation. And I like, look, I'm, we came up together. We homies. I'm going to look out for you. You need it. I got you. And he just take, 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 take. And it wasn't just me. He was a good dude in a lot of ways. And that's what compelled people to do for him. But then the one time I step up and like, yo, I need something. I need you to do something or I need you to cease and desist from a certain behavior or I need you to come through on me and like, I'm busy. I can't. And you're like, yo, and it's like, well, you to do, you know, that's your role. That's who you are. You know, you a solid dude. They give you these empty platitudes. You solid. You smart. Oh, you my homie. I love, I got love for you in words, but not in deeds. And I've seen that replicated every time I find a solid individual. And they have at least one cat that they holding down that doesn't reciprocate every solid individual. Now, I'm older now, so I know my homies now. I know Rip, Dita, all y'all. I'm not talking about none of y'all because I'm older. I don't play that no more. I don't engage in from this bro Diallo to this day. I don't engage in those non-reciprocal relationships anymore. I don't play like that. But in my 20s. Everywhere I look, I see, man, that's a solid dude. And if you meet a solid dude, sisters, if you are out here and you're young and you're dating and you find a solid dude, I promise you there's going to be one messy friend you're going to have to navigate. Y'all out on a date and his phone rings. 
Y'all laid up in the bed and it's a knock at his door. And brothers, you find you a solid sister. I promise you, somewhere under her floor mats in her car, in the trunk of her car, hiding on the second shelf in her walk-in closet, there's going to be a messy friend that's going to be constantly taking and taking and then you come to care about that person and you don't like to see that person done wrong and then it's weird because you get two solid people together and those two solid people are met arguing about the messy friend why you always got to go to her what about your messy friend and you'll have more fights about these external people than you had between yourself i've seen it so when i saw this with flavor flave and i was a fan of public 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 enemy and I would see Chuck D, and I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm not talking about last year. I'm not talking about, I'm talking 20, 30 years ago. And Chuck D's trying to do an interview. And they used to love doing this back in the Source magazines, back in the early days of Vibe magazine. They used to love to call Chuck D out. And Chuck D would be there trying to talk about politics and talk about the conditions of our people. There was this famous interview after Night of the Living Baseheads dropped. And he was there talking about drug awareness and the crack cocaine epidemic and the government complicity in crack cocaine. And the journalist thought it was real cute and was like, well, you know, you want to stop the community from getting drugs. You can't even keep your bandmates off of drugs. And Chuck did never threw Flav under the bus. Chuck was like, well, Flav, he used to always go back and look at the old interviews. I'm sure they on YouTube. Go pull up the old archival articles. And Chuck was always like, well, Flav, we working with Flav. Flav has his issue. Flav's my man. Flav can speak for himself. If he couldn't say nothing positive, he would be like, talk to Flav. I'm not going to sit here and talk about my man. For a de over two decades, I saw this. Him holding Flav down. And Flav out here doing everything from drugs to domestic violence. Chuck D on stage talking about fear of a black planet and he brings this Brigitte Nielsen, this eight foot white woman, Neanderthal, white woman, blonde haired Aryan, Caucasoid woman onto the stage and tonguing her down while he's rapping about, you know, fear of a black planet and white, the history of eugenics and, mis and, and, and miscegenation. But, the, but she said she loved me. And I see Chuck, even Griff, go back and look at the unsung episode. Even Griff, now Griff is agreeing with Flav on this, but remember Griff, his, he broke one of Flavor Flav's, he knocked Flav on his ass, punched him in there, and would go to Chuck every other day. We got to get Flav out of here. Flav is making us look bad. And Chuck was like, nah. I've seen this so many times. So to see this happen on a national, you know, most of the time this go down in our little project apartments. This goes down in the hood, in our little community. It's never played out like this on a national or global stage. I've seen Chuck hold this dude down for so long. And I thought it was a noble thing. I thought to myself personally, like, I respect that. That's how I do. And I got some, I got some, you grow up, and I know from drug abuse to predatory behavior, I know some cats. And I'm like, yeah, Chuck D is, is solid for that. And, then, and, and to see this play out over decades, See it play out over decades. Go back and look at the old videos. Go back and look at the old concert footage where Flav is up there obviously coked out and look into Chuck D's eyes. He's a professional. He's a solid dude, so he's going to do his end. 
and do all of his end and half or more of your end. And Flav has just come to expect that. Like, I do whatever I want, and, and, and Chuck will clean it up. Chuck will swallow whatever bitter pills I dish out, whatever negative PR I bring to public enemy, whatever contradictory behavior I engage in outside where, we're, where he even admitted he showed up to the Night of the Living Basehead, an anti-drug song, high on crack, performing. And some of y'all really... Y'all like the only like uh, public enemy because of Flay. Y'all can't really digest any biting, solid political commentary unless there's some some chocolate sprinkles on top. And by chocolate sprinkles embedded with crack rocks, unless there's some goofiness there, y'all can't just sit down and be serious. You need some, you know, goofiness. That's why I like Poor Righteous Teachers. KRS One Boogie Down Productions. A lot of those other groups didn't have a court jester. So they weren't as popular as Public Enemy. Even white people liked it. So I understand Flay played his role. I'm not diminishing Flay's role in Public Enemy. Helping to be the court gesture that allowed Chuck D's commentary to be more digestible. I'm not discounting it. But I'm talking about how outside of that. And and Flavor suing the group. I don't know if the lawsuit was justified or not, but the court threw it out. The courts obviously didn't. Chuck obviously didn't. His case was dismissed. So, I mean, until otherwise known, Flav got his money and Flav got everything that was due to him and then went and squandered it. Even way back in 2016, when Flav was, go look up Rolling Stone article in 2016, Flavor Flav Donald Trump. When, they, when he was on tour and they went into his tour bus and said, what do you think about Trump? He had nothing but positive things. He was swinging so hard from Trump's nuts, his hands were probably coated in orange powder like he'd been eating Cheetos. That's how hard he was clutching Donald Trump's spray tan testicles. And I hate to, I, I hate to say this about anybody, but it's true. So, I, I'm, I mean, forget all other things aside. It just hit me personal as being the dude who could be depended on. And then the one time, the one time Chuck's like, listen, I'm going to do this for Bernie Sanders. I don't normally endorse political candidates, but this is a unique candidate. Democratic, socialist, we ain't seen nothing like this since the FDR era. So I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And I ain't saying Flav had to come out and endorse, but if you look at his history, Flav ain't got no problem endorsement giving endorsements when the money's right. Just as Chuck D ain't lied. Chuck D ain't never lied on Flav. If he told a lie related to Flav, it was a lie to protect Flav. But if you look, he could have just been like, listen, I'm, I'm not involved. You know, I'm not doing the show. Public Enemy done performed without Flavor Flav many a times, many a places. They used to doing shows going all the way back to 89, 88. Flav was too strung out to show up. So Public Enemy showing up on stage without Flav is nothing new. And then Flav got a lot of hype going and tried to do a solo album that went nowhere. And then he came crawling back to the group. Kind of like Grand Poobah with Brand Nubian. But y'all don't hear me though. Shout out to Brand Nubian. Love brand all for one, hip hop classic, five mics all around. So I, I ain't try, I ain't trying to start nothing. I don't want to be starting something. K 
can't got to be starting so i'm just i'm just calling it as i see it as a fan i'm speaking from the fan perspective maybe i can bring dita in here he's an old school industry cat and he can go behind the curtain i'm speaking from my side of the curtain as a fan as a spectator what I have known from reading articles, listening to music, going to shows. I last time Public Enemy was here at the House of Blues. And Chuck, and then Griff. <laughs> and let me just say, I've always liked Griff. Dude was funny to me. You know, but I've always had to give him a side eye. He down in Atlanta messing with them, you know, reptilian overlord, conspiratorial, Illuminati type nonsense. And so I'm like, okay, Griff, still. But he's talking about, we don't, we don't do endorsements. We, do, we a revolutionary group. We, we, I'm like, you know, when I went to see y'all at House of Blues, if it wasn't more than 15 black people in that audience, it was 95 or 90, 85% white. And y'all go to Switzerland, Y'all performing in Prague. Come on, come on, uh, come on now. Come on. And if it wasn't for white folks, go back and look at Terminator 2. And Terminator 2, the kid wearing the public enemy shirt. They've always had a huge, the biggest white fan base of almost any political hip-hop group. So don't, don't, don't play with me. I ain't saying... That take away from anything. White folks like you can't do nothing about white folks loving you. Ain't nothing you can do about it. If white folks going to love you, they're going to love you. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. Ain't nothing you can do either way. So I ain't saying y'all were y'all were courting white folks or trying to appeal to white folks, but y'all have big white fans. So don't pretend like y'all performing at a Bernie rally is so far outside of your scope because I'm sure 90% of the time when you on stage, Griff, and you looking out at an ocean of white faces. Don't play like that. Don't play like that, you know, and ain't, and I'm not saying uh, many other artists have to deal with this. Going back to Miles Davis, Miles Davis used to play his saxophone and he was famous for standing with his back to the audience because he didn't want to look at all them white folks up there playing black music, you know, for an all white audience. So he would face the face his band and play for his band. So I ain't saying this ain't nothing new or it's nothing unique to public enemy. But by the time Professor Griff want to act like they too black and too proud and too revolutionary to go stand on stage for for a, a, a progressive white candidate. Calm down, Griff. Calm down. You are great performers, maybe one of the greatest performers, but don't don't get as as a. Uh, Brand new being said, don't let it go to your head. But I feel that. That's everything else aside. And, and all you people who can relate to Flav, like, yeah, Flav, Flav holding it down. Somebody said, yeah, Flav was, was unconscious in the past, but now he is awakening. All you empty militants that are siding with Flav on this conflict, y'all suspect. If you know somebody personally that can relate to Flav's point of view, watch them. Because they might be, because they, they empathize with Flav. That means they can embody that mentality. That that mentality is something that they connect to. So if you know somebody that's like, yeah, I see Flav's point of view. I, yeah, I, I can see where Flav is coming from. A lot of people that ain't said nothing to say about Flav. Everybody, you know, where I'm from, there's this term called Jeffin. That means giving undue compliments. 
or, or over giving somebody more credit than they do. We say stop jeffing. That's the Kansas City thing. If you ain't been to Kansas City, don't ever go to Kansas City because you wouldn't understand Kansas City. But that's the Kansas City thing. I've never heard it outside of Kansas City. So I know only my Kansas City listeners will understand. Anybody that's jeffing with Flav, you better watch him. You better watch him because that because that is two different mentalities at work there. And sometimes, you know, they say opposites attract. It's dudes I'm cool with that, that you know, if you came to kick it with me back in, in New York, in Brooklyn, you come kick it with me in Kansas City. You see my homies, my day one homies. They're a lot different from me. While they eating Kansas City barbecue rib, I'm eating organic non-GMO asparagus. But we friends. We love each other. We homies. And I know I can call on them from anything and they can call on me. But we weigh different dudes. We weigh different dudes. But we've to, So I understand that. You ain't got to. Nobody wants to look at a sit across from a clone of themselves. Nobody wants to sit in it. Well, some people do. But normal, healthy people don't want to sit around in an echo chamber, only deal with people that agree. Well, a lot of young people do this Internet era people with their confirmation gangs. They can only vibe with people who are all but identical to them in all respects. You dress like me, you eat like me, you think like me, you believe like me, you have the same views and opinions and insights. If you have one thing, you cancel. I understand that. That's a relatively new phenomenon. But like I said, I got homies from all spectrums. Well, I'm sitting there reading you know, uh, Karl Marx sitting across from my homie. He reading the Bible. He's in his scriptures or his Holy Quran. You know, I got to go wait for him outside in the car while he's in the mosque or masjid bumping his head on the floor. Face down, ass up for Allah. So I got homies and they hear me say this stuff and they roll their eyes and they have to resist chopping me in the throat. But they know I'm their brother. They my brother. So I understand. But if you know somebody. I'm saying this one more time because this is old man wisdom. Look at all this gray in my beard. This is old or listen to all the gray. I'll scratch my beard on the mic so you can hear all this that's gray hairs I'm scruffling. This is old man wisdom. If you know people that are hip to this Flavor Flav versus Chuck D conflict and they in any way say, yeah, I see where Flav is coming from. Watch him. Be careful. If you somebody like, yeah, Chuck all the way. Team Chuck. Whatever. However, it's, it's being played or, or articulated. If you find somebody that relates to Chuck, hold on to that dude. If you yourself think, yeah, Flav didn't, didn't have to go for Bernie. Flav did what Flav could do what he want to do. If you if you thinking all that, maybe you and maybe I can give you a pass if you're ignorant of the last 30 years. If you don't go all the way back to 88, 89. If you don't, if you haven't heard. Sucker to the sides, I know you hate my 98. You're going to get yours. If you haven't heard and listened to and memorized all the tracks from Yo Bum Rush the show, my Uzi weighs a ton, if you don't go back that far, maybe you don't know the history. So you're just looking at today. And then you can see, well, like, hey, these two brothers fighting over this old white man. I can see. Maybe you, out of ignorance, you, you, you come to the wrong conclusion. But if you do go back there and you do know the history or you are a true public enemy fan and you didn't just find out about public enemy last week or you didn't just find out about Flavor Flav from reality TV and VH1, if you know about Flav long before, even if you was rocking long, even before 911 is a joke, 
Anyway, that's my two, four, five, six, seven cents. Let's talk about something good. Today is Ghana Independence Day, the first nation. Now, and and there's some people that, but I'm going to say it like I said. I'm going to stop trying to plan for it. Because every time I say something, you know, the internet want to come jump down my throat. Like, I can't, like, if I say one thing, I have to say everything related to that one thing. So if I'm talking about, I I could give so many examples, but just go to my comments or go to my live feed, YouTube at DialoKenyatic.com, Facebook at DialoKenyatic.com. Did I say I'm on 1690 AM, Q4 Radio, uh, iTunes, TuneIn app, and of course Q4.org. Did I say all that? If I didn't say it, now I said it. But you go to the comments and the feeds and all that. You'll find that uh, people want to say, add things to what I say as if, if I didn't say the whole thing, then obviously I must be ignorant of this thing. So if I, if I have a discussion about the 2020 primary, and then they're going to want to come and talk about the Constitution and the legislature, they want to talk about all this. And I'm like, I'm just talking about this minor one aspect of the U.S. political uh, ecosystem, the primary. So I didn't say anything yay or nay about the Constitution, up or down, left or right. But they want to debate the Constitution when I'm just talking about. But anyway, that's how y'all do me. So I want to say Ghana Independence Day. And then people will be like, Ghana's not truly independent. Or Ghana's not the first independent. Ethiopia was never colonized. And, you know, I'm just, okay, yeah. And it's all even okay to say, listen, I just want to share. I think this is a good comment. But they want to come at it like they got a zinger on me. But, uh, hey, I don't mind. I'm happy. I wish everybody was smarter than me. I truly believe that. If I was the least smart black man in the world, and I, that don't mean a reduction in what I know. I mean an increase of what everybody else knows. But I digress. Today is Ghana Independence Day. Official. Uh, Ghana, thanks to the, the revolutionary Kwame Nkrumah, who was a pan-Africanist, who was a Garveyite, who was a student of the late great Dr. John Henry Clark. And don't go to Wikipedia, because they talk about that black star when they talk about the Ghana flag and the red for the bloodshed, and the gold for the resources and riches of the land, and they say the black is for black people. The black on the star, uh, the flag of Ghana is for the Black Star Line and the Marcus Garvey UNIA movement. Whoever did, like, the don't go to Wikipedia or, or what's that other, um, Encyclopedia Britannica, all of that. Go to the, the African revolutionary scholars, they'll tell you. But anyway, I want to share with y'all and for better or for worse, you know, the 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 Ghana, because it's been the the tradition on the Bro Diallo show to share the uh, national anthem of uh, those days. Um, I don't know the words to this, but you know, if you know the words, sing along to the to the Ghana national anthem. So, and it's short, just a minute. So let's take a moment to 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 celebrate with our brothers and sisters on the First Nation. To, to to secure freedom. And I know some of y'all going to jump, oh, it's flag independence like Dr. John Henry Clark. It's neo-colonial conditions. I, I, I know, but come on. just I know. 
Now you can get in the comments and tell me all about how it's not truly neo-colonial, the Chinese and Sino-imperialism. Go ahead, say all that, but I'm just going to take a second, 53 seconds, to celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Ghana their day of independence from direct British colonial rule. So now I say direct colonization. That way we can leave it open for the discussion about Africa, Ghana, and the rest of Africa are not truly independent. They have not truly taken all. And black people in America, free. we ain't free. That don't mean we can't acknowledge Harriet Tubman and emancipation and Juneteenth. We can acknowledge that as we the struggle continues. So anyway, here, without further ado, in celebration of the... Uh, Independence Day, March 6th, Independence Day, 1957, Independence Day for Ghana, which before, and it's the founding of Ghana, really, because under British colonial, it was called the Gold Coast, and they didn't name it the Gold Coast because, you know, the sand was pretty. This is because they extract billions of dollars of wealth from Ghana and the rest of Africa, but uh, I know y'all waiting, so let's hear Okay, and if you like me, I know you was expecting some drums, some rhythms, some African, but hey, that's their national anthem. They got a right to call it that. That's it. I love the lyrics. I love the lyrics. You know, I, 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 I mean, as far as, you know, but, you know, they were colonized by the British. So by the time the white folks must have left the instruments. But God bless our homeland, Ghana. I don't like that part, God bless our homeland. And make our nation great and strong. Behold to defend forever the cause of freedom and of right. Fill our hearts with true humility. Make us cherish fearless honesty. And help us to resist oppressor's rule with all our will and might forevermore. And help us to resist oppressor's rules with all our might and will and might forevermore. And so that was uh, originally written and composed by uh, a Ghanese uh, composer by the name of Philip uh, Gbiho. And uh, he wrote that in celebration. So, like I said, the instrumentation, I think they should throw some drums, maybe some turntables on that. But anyway, that's uh, happy Independence Day to Ghana and to the rest of Africa. I think that being that it was the first and you can observe historically there was a domino effect after Ghana secured its emancipation, its uh, decolonization. There was a, uh, a, a, a domino effect 
not just in Africa, but also in the Caribbean. And also look at how it parallels almost to the day the civil rights movement. So our black liberation, black oppression has never been confined to Africa or confined to uh, the United States or confined to Latin America. Just like our oppression has never been confined by borders or even individual national identity. They weren't they, they didn't go to Africa to arrest Igbo. They didn't go to arrest and, and, and enslave Kikuyu. They black was black. So our our liberation has to match our our oppression. If our oppression is borderless, so must our liberation. And these ADOS movements that try to confine movements to borders or any even African nationalists that say, well, I'm fighting for the freedom of Nigeria and don't understand that the freedom of Nigeria is related to all African liberation of the diaspora. Then all these foolish, short sighted people are assets of the oppressor and they either better learn or burn. That's my uh, motto. Learn or burn. Moving on. Uh in a most imperialistic move, Haiti, Haiti's uh, corrupt president has appointed a new prime minister. This is the fifth prime minister in three years, and he bypassed the, the Haitian legislature and, and violated the Haitian constitution by unilaterally appointing a prime minister. And... What's even more important than that, than the machinations of a petty dictator, is that the United States immediately released a statement supporting this move. So now Haiti doesn't even have the illusion of a democratic government. Haiti is a puppet regime. It's not even a dictatorship. You can't even say that. Haiti is a direct puppet regime of the United States. The emerging civil war, you know... um, the, um, the Americans, the United States uh, government, State Department, and the uh, United Nations Integrated Office of Haiti are now running uh, the United States, running Haiti. Haiti is, United States is pushing for elections and is handpicking the candidates. So keep an eye on Haiti. Haiti is in an uproar. As goes Haiti, I tell y'all this, this is something y'all really don't want to acknowledge. As Haiti goes, so goes the rest of the African diaspora. And you don't believe me, but watch. Don't believe me, just watch. Don't believe me, just watch. Haiti is the is the ideological. Dare I say, and I really shouldn't say this, but the spiritual home of the African diaspora. And when I say spirit, I mean like team spirit. I don't mean ethereal spirit. I mean the emotional invigoration and emotional, uh, um, what do they call, resonate. When people, when a lot of people share the same strong feeling in the same way, in the same space, that's called spirit. Like everybody's mad, so there's a spirit of, of rage or everybody's peaceful and there's a spirit of calm. So it's just people psychologically, mentally, and even physically resonating together. Now, I don't mean some out-of-body supernatural, but more on that later. Um, there's another 
really bad report. I mean, ain't no, don't nobody bring me no good news. I should call this the Evil Lynn Show. Don't nobody bring me no bad news. All I got is bad news. The uh, African continent, mainly Congo, is losing its rainforest. And, um, damn, this is really bad. This is, like, probably one of the worst, um, uh, um, issues that I, I've, I've covered was um, the the loss of African rainforest. They, uh, scientists are predicting that as soon as 19, I'm um, 20, 2038 to 20 to third, 2040, that Africa's rainforest will no longer be a carbon sink. And a carbon sink are basically forested areas that absorb carbon from the atmosphere. And so there are a few, like the ocean is a carbon sink. The ocean absorbs and locks in carbon. Uh, the forest are carbon sinks, as well as the Arctic regions lock in a lot of carbon and methane gas car and, and greenhouse gases. Well, as the forest, basically, if the growth rate of a forest is greater than the, the die-off rate of the trees and the decay rate, that means that it, the, the trees absorb and lock in carbon. But as the trees die, as they suffer from fire, or if there's severe drought, forests become carbon emitters. Become uh, carbon emitters. And scientists are finding that the rate of tree growth is being, surpa is being surpassed by the rate of decay and death. It states here, there are two scientists, uh, Professor uh, uh, Simon Lewis and Professor Lee White came out with a report. And it says that uh, our findings show that back in the 1990s, intact tropical forests were absorbing 4.6 billion tons of carbon dioxide every year. This has slumped to an estimated 2.5 billion, cut in half, tons each year over the last decade. To put these colossal numbers in context, the decline of 2.1 billion tons each year is equivalent to five times the annual carbon monoxide emissions of the entire country of the UK. One forest. And now that, the, that means the rate of global warming will, is going to increase exponentially. Because it is a tragedy that the forest rainforest of Africa and we already know we talked about the Amazon under the fascist racist Barsonaro genocidal madman that runs Brazil the most populous black country outside of uh, the African continent um, but the reduced rate of carbon fixation fixing carbon and carbon absorption is really bad but if the forest, if we go by this, then then in another decade, it will be down to less than than a full billion tons. And pretty soon it will start emitting carbon from the rainforest and it's game over. Capitalism and white domination is destroying the life sustaining capacity of the planet. And as capitalist white people destroy the planet. We get these professors who write these papers and they publish the papers and they get all these academic accolades and then they go back home to their cozy upper middle class life. This is a real emergency.
This is why I supported Jay Inslee in the U.S. election. I mean, if it was really real, we should be in the streets rioting. And they tell us, well, you know, drive an electric car and use uh, reusable straws. No, we need to tear down capitalism and white domination and imperialism. All armies need to go back. Every military from the Chinese to the U.S. military, every military needs to be withdrawn back to its own territory. We need to end imperialism. We need to put all those resources into biodiversity, tree planting, Ethiopia. Every time Ethiopia has 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 paved the way um, with, with planting billions of trees. In Ethiopia, Cuba. Has has transformed its its economy to be a green, sustainable economy. There's a wonderful mini documentary called How Cuba Survived Peak Oil. How they basically have bio cities now. Cities in the past, it was all about bringing in everything you need. Bring in the food, bring in all that. Even here in Chicago, you head up and down the loop. You see these rail trains and all these trucks bringing all these resources from all over the world to the city. And you find in places like Cuba, Havana, every rooftop is a forest, is a garden. Instead of having to bring all these things from the outside, the people grow where they are. The problem with growing and building where you are is that it's harder to generate profit. The only reason I can't get a shirt that was made in Chicago, I can't get a pair of shoes that was made in Chicago, I can't buy a cucumber that was grown in Chicago or grown in the, I mean, if you go outside the city of Chicago, if you drive north or, or uh, if you drive south, north, or west from Chicago, within 20 minutes or less, you're, you're around all open land and open space, just in the surrounding communities. But instead of growing food in those surrounding communities, they want to build McMansions and amphitheaters and all this to generate profit. Why not just bring the food up from Honduras or Mexico? Because it's more profit. There's more slave labor, fewer regulations, no taxation. And yeah, that's really all really good for making money, but making money and accumulation of funds this way is killing the life-sustaining capacity of the earth. And now we got the, the, the African rainforest dying off. And I'm supposed to give a damn about black billionaires. Let's move on. I wanted to say something about Elizabeth Warren because the feminists are mad saying that this that people didn't vote for Warren because she was a woman. And I was raised, I was sexist AF. So when I hear claims of sexism, I listen. I pay attention. Every day I have to look at myself, say, hey, I'm a recovering sexist or whatever. I don't really buy in that whole you can never get over this. this Because uh, I think... The, the people, I'm a recovering addict, Narcotics Anonymous, and Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a cult. It's a religious cult. It has a lot of cultish elements. I don't know if it's a full-blown cult. I haven't really applied the bite model to it. But it has some cultish elements. So, but I, I mean, real talk, there is certain facts associated with that. But as a person who was not only a sexist, but very comfortable sexist, a very... Very good at being a sexist. I mean, I was raised to think that women were less than men, less capable, less worthy, 
less relevant than men because God made me in his image. And not only was God a man, but all of the heavenly host. There were no female angels, a deities, and that women were a cursed species, that, that, that women were brought sin into the world. And an uncontrolled woman, a Jezebel, an Eve, a woman that is outside of the control of her father, her uncles, her husband, her brothers, a woman that's outside of control will go out and bring curse and doom upon the land. Like Eve, if Adam had properly monitored Eve, humanity would have. This is how I was raised from birth in the holy books. So I'm not blaming nobody for my sexism, but damn, I mean, did I, did I, did y'all even give me a chance, a swinging chance? But I learned I'm teachable. That's the thing. That's the thing I'm most proud of about myself. I'm a teachable dude. So I've learned and I'm getting better every day. I'm healing and I'm trying to heal whatever damage I've done. So as I heal, I'm trying to heal my environment. So anyway, whenever I hear calls of sexism, I pay attention. And I know a lot of my feminist enemies, and it's because they define me as their enemy. I don't see them as my enemy, but a lot of feminists are probably going to roll if they still follow me. I've been shunned by many feminists, but real talk, when I hear calls of sexism, this is because of sexism. I pay attention. Sometimes I'm like, word, that's sexism all day, all night. They're right. And then here's another thing about those racist feminists. Uh, they like to think that they are the only ones to construct and can act, can articulate the plight of women and can act on behalf of women. So if it ain't feminist, then it can't be pro-women, as if there aren't women from all over the globe who form, form, formalize or organize to construct not only resistance movements outside of the Western context, outside of the white woman context, but are more successful and have more holistic approaches, like Africana womanist, you know, or you go to people like Arundhati Roy and, and Vandana Shiva in uh, India who are organizing for women's liberation well outside of the, you know, bra-burning uh, CIA agent feminist of the U.S. And, and Europe. But I ain't even trying to get off into that. But I do want to talk about it. I might have to wait because time is not on my side. But I do have to... to um, I do want to talk about these calls of Elizabeth Warren being a victim of sexism and, and the over larger, but I let's at first I want to talk. Let's, let's get to the topic because of black spirituality. Again, if you listen to Wednesday's bro Diallo show, the reason I was talking about it is because the nations that if you look at black spiritualist, you hear a lot. And when I say I'm talking about the black Afrocentric movement, but this applies to a lot of, you know, Western spiritualists. Black spirituality is either of a Eastern mysticism, Eastern Buddhist, Hindu element, uh, Native American, you know, elements. You know, I didn't even know this dude. He goes to sweat lodges. He goes to to the reservation Indian country and engages in sweat lodges and eating peyote and going into trances and stuff. And this brother 
Well, he was a few years ago, and he was originally a Hebrew Israelite. So, and then you know, African amalgam of of African Vodun animist uh, traditions, Yoruba, Akan, Kemetic. So their spirituality, there it's an amalgam. That's why it's really kind of hard to talk about this topic because anything I say about spirituality, there's going to be some spiritual person. It's going to jump up and you always know when they jump up because they always wearing copper and crystals and stuff. So they're very noisy when they move around. I mean, just look at Erica Badu and then all the stuff hanging off of her. So inevitably you're going to hear somebody clank, clank, clank when they raise their hands ching, ching, ding, ding, and they wear these bells and chimes. They're going to be like, wait, no, you're wrong, brother. And I'll admit right now, everything I say about spirituality is wrong. You know why? Because it's ethereal nothing. It's a non-existent nothing. And therefore, you can say whatever you want about it, and nobody can be wrong or right about it. So it's hard to talk about it, but I still need to say some facts. There are some material facts that come out of this unrealness. And I know I'm probably offending y'all, but, you know, you don't worry. After you get off the Brodiallo show, you can go burn some sage, realign your chakras, open up your meridians, and do everything you need to do. But y'all need to hear this, you spiritual people. So, yes, everything I'm saying is wrong. You don't understand. Yes, I don't understand because it can't be like if I get on here and say something about gravity or if I say something about carbon emissions or carbon fixing of the rainforest or if I get up here and say something about the Democratic platform, whether the Democratic Party adheres or diverges from its platform. or If I say something about the level of influence that corporate interest has on the Democratic Party, if I say certain things, I could be saying this is right or this is wrong because there is concrete evidence there is testable evidence that we can go to and say, okay, it is. This is what it is. This is what it ain't. But when you're talking about the spirit vibrations, it, it, nobody can be right. And that's the thing. You can't even debate these people because they're in the arena of unrealness. So in yesterday's show, I told y'all about what an atheist was. Uh, y'all need to understand because a lot of people say, say that, well, atheism is the opposite. Atheism is not the opposite of religion. Atheism is the opposite of theism. And there are a lot of people who are atheists that don't even know they're atheists, people who are agnostic. If you basically conclude, atheism is a conclusion. That's all it is. It is people that say, I don't see evidence of God. Most atheists that I know are not even anti-God or anti-religion. They just say, well, I haven't seen it. Whatever epiphany you had when the Lord came into your heart well God God came to you in a vision in a dream like I have an uncle who's a minister and he was a security guard and he used to work the overnight shift so you know he's a black man working the overnight shift so you know he slept I slept too yeah I'm gonna tell you uh, uh when I was a, an x-ray tech at Truman Medical Center and when I was an x-ray tech working the overnight shift at Downstate Medical Center I slept don't give black folks overnight jobs. Yeah, I'm snitching. We should be resting anyway. So anyway, my uncle was working at his job, sleep overnight. Don't give a black man an overnight job. We gonna sleep. Now I'm just messing with y'all. Sometimes I now I knew a bunch of white people that listen to me. I knew it. I knew it. I goddamn it. Shut up. Anyway, he was asleep, and he said that in his dream, he worked security. Someone came to, and his job was literally to watch these shipping containers they would bring in these shipping containers into the midwest and they didn't over if they didn't unload them overnight people could bust in them and steal whatever electronics or whatever was in there so his job was to monitor this this lot full of empty sh shipping containers 
or or loaded shipping containers that were supposed to be emptied in the next day or two. So he said he was doing his rounds and he found some people breaking into the container and he got shot up, pop, 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 pop. And he was crawling, trying to stay alive. And he said, Lord, if I die, just I don't, I don't care if I live or die. I just want to know that if I live, I live for you. And if I die, I'm going to go on to Zion. And he said in his dream, in his vision, that he saw the ship of Zion coming down to, to, to take his soul on to be with his heavenly father. And when he woke from that dream, that was a vision. And he said not only had he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that he was going to spread the gospel. And he became a minister, and he was an associate minister or whatever, and, and went to seminary, and now he has his own church out in Blue Springs, Missouri. Don't go now. Don't go this Sunday, because right now he's on vacation on the East Coast. I ain't trying to tell my bit, but, but I can tell this story, and I don't feel bad telling this story about Reverend Jefferson, because he tells this testimony every opportunity he gets. I've heard this story so many times. I'm leaving parts out. But I've sat in the church and heard his conversion story many and many a times. And I remember he lived in the projects right there with me. I was raised by my grandmother. He's my youngest uncle. And he used to be out there throwing hands. Remember Jebity Jeb? Remember Jeb? East Hills? He used to be out there banging. He never slang. None of my people in my family, you know. He never slang, he never he never robbed people, but he used to fight when the hood, whenever somebody would try to encroach on East Hills Village territory, they used to call him. Big six foot, three hundred pounds, he could throw hands. He's a big dude. And all that stopped overnight. You know. And I'm like, man, you better go on somewhere with that. That ain't me. But anyway, so I've ne- an atheist is a person that says, I ain't even telling you that didn't happen to you. All I'm telling you is that it ain't happened to me. I ain't had no epiphany, no, no convergence story. I ain't had no ancestor come from beyond. I've had no experience with the supernatural otherworldliness. And until I get evidence, until I have my ship of Zion coming to get me, and even if the ship of Zion, even if a man came through the wall and walked through the wall and did some things beyond what I suspect that humans are capable of, that is still wouldn't be evidence of God. That'd just be evidence of you as a person or this man did something. So an atheist is no more than a person that says, I have no God. I have no, uh, uh, I have no means of interacting to pleasing or violating. There's no concept of sin. No gods and no things related to gods, no things dictated by gods, because simply I have seen no evidence of God. And every person that has professed evidence of God, they have never been able to demonstrate to anyone else besides their pleas, their testimonies, their words. But all of the miracles, all of the phenomenon of the the, the Bible, like I said, the last time I had a conversation with this, this uh, spiritual brother, I said, basically, well, he... He was more religious. Well, no, he went from being a black Hebrew Israelite to being a man of prophecy and unseen. So he went from being religious to spiritual, like a lot of y'all. He would tell you, he would insist that he doesn't have a religion. He has a personal relationship with his deity, whom he doesn't even want to name because he's beyond space and time. But he, I said to him, basically, what, what your belief system says, there was a lot of magic in the past. And there will be a lot of magic in the future. 
and there's no magic right now, but unless you accept and fully believe in the magic of the past, you will not benefit from the magic in the future. And he looked me in the eye, dead in the face, and said, yep, that's it. Oh, oh, you should see the holy men of the past and the great shaman and all this magical stuff. Can I see it now? Nope, but you got to believe that it happened because the great whatever gods and spiritual stuff is going to come down any day now is going to come down from on high. And if you don't believe that the unseen magic of the past, you will not get any benefit of the future magic. I'm like, that's a hustle. But anyway, I've always had an issue with spiritual people because I left the church And I became spiritual. I stopped being religious and tried to be spiritual. Well, after I left the Christian church, I went to examine the the Islam. And the Muslims kicked me to the curb. I went to the Nation of Islam study group, and I brought my copy of Message to the Black Men of America, and I brought my printout of what Muslims believe and what Muslims want, and I brought some other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this is a study group, but it wasn't a study group. It was basically a lecture group where the, the, the leader of the group would just tell us what to believe. And I'm like, that's not how a study. You don't stand up front telling us and we don't get to question you or debate or come with our own information. So anyway, they kicked me out of the nation. So I wasn't able to join the Nation of Islam. Thank you. Thank you to what is that? Mosque number 47 on truce. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I can't thank you enough for for kicking me to the curb when I was a young impressionable man and then my favorite thing what brought me to the nation was the white man is not a devil the white man is the devil I'm like whoever who said that I want to get in that corner and and rally and huddle up with that group but they wouldn't let me so after that I graduated high school and I go and there was this brother brother Walter who was training to be uh, an Akan priest and we would go to the Akan rituals and and the, the priestess would evoke Shango and we dance in circle and they would have this bourbon or this brown liquor and they would drink it and spit it out and uh, the powder was flowing and, and the drums were playing and I was supposed to the priest would be possessed by Shango or, or a Legba or Jemaya and then you could talk to these divine creatures through this possessed spirit and her voice would change and she would contort her body and you could ask she would ask you questions she would look into your soul and tell you things about yourself or you could ask her about anything from money to marital problems and everybody in there was really all these powerful black folks wasn't the white folks within 10 miles of this ritual the priest was black, the scriptures, the ideology, and the shrine was there. And we bring offerings from the shrine. We bring offerings to our ancestors. And it was beautiful. I really liked it. It was powerful. You know, and, and again, the spirit of, of black unity and black empowerment, the spirit of our ancestors. And when I say spirit, I mean, we were all vibing on the same emotional level. All of the symbols and the music and all these things were put us in a psychological and an emotional state. Manipulation. Wasn't no different than the tambourine and the tabernacle and the uh, and God. It's same method. Different rhetoric, same method. But I kind of stood there like, damn, Baba Woza, you know, Baba Jafunza. I didn't, I didn't feel the mad. I didn't, the levitation. And so they tell me, yo, you just, you keep coming to the rituals and you're going to see something magical. You're going to see something. There was one man who was, was in the ritual, they say. 
Now, I wasn't there that day. And they say he received a cut on his leg as he was dancing, evoking the ancestors, calling down the Orisha. And during the rituals, not a speck of blood came out of this man's womb. After the ritual was done, the, 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 the wound started spraying blood, spraying blood everywhere. I'm like, was it an artery that was nicked? They were like, what? I'm like, well, if it's not an arterial wound, generally you don't get the spray of blood. You got to go deep for that. And he's like, I don't know. It was the ancestors. They held back the blood and they released the divine blood. That blood coming out of his wound was pure, was, was, was the wickedness. And his, it, was, it was a sign that he was being purified. And I'm like, well, can we reproduce those under laboratory conditions maybe? Atone for any, you know... <laughs> And, you know, I'm just like, I, I, okay, I heard that. I didn't see it. Now, I know certain things about human physiology that if you're under a high stress condition to fight, we all know about the adrenal glands, dopamine levels. We all heard about the woman lifting the car off her baby. In times of great stress, people can do things. And, but there is a scientific, physiological, repeatable explanation. But that explanation is not you know, your ancestors jump inside your body or come to you in a, in a ghost form and lift by your side. You know, Jesus doesn't carry you when there's a single set of footprints. There's all your footprints. And if you see two sets of footprints, then somebody was stalking you. You know, so I've always had this issue. I went to, and, and so I went to uh, the Akan rituals and then they had the, and even now to this day, this summer, you can go to the Haitian drugs, a uh, drum circle. And, 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 and vibe with the Vodun. They were very open, at least back in the 90s. And, and you got the Haitian drum circle. And people dancing, calling down the ancestors for help to pay bills or help to make that man act right. Come round to me. Help that man come round to me. Sean, go bring that man round to me. You know? And I went to theirs. And I'm like, this is wonderful. I love drumming and dancing with my people. I even love the, the, the beautiful shrines they would erect and the candles and the coconuts and the, the the two-headed axes and you know I loved all that and it was a really good way to help you focus or help you to reflect on things like in 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 our office I have a picture of Stephen Biko on the wall and when I look at Stephen Biko I think about the things he said and things he wrote and the example he set and it helps to recenter and focus me and it gives me even an emotional like yeah you know I I if 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 he could do it if he could take that stand I got pictures up of Malcolm X and then I just have beautiful artwork that speaks to my spirit. You could say that. Yeah, it does evoke something in me. So I'm not denying that aspect, but it becomes corrupted or it, it, it has a great potential for corruption. You know, um, first of all, a lot of these belief systems that people have um, about these various symptom, systems are not as noble or righteous as people think they are. Like nine times out of 10, if you know or if you interact with a black spiritual person, nine times out of 10, they're going to have elements of Buddhism and or Hinduism embedded in their spiritual practice. You know, they're, it, it's just almost inevitable. They're going to do yoga 
or they're going to believe in karma or the, 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 the Dharma, or they're going to have this concept of enlightenment as a path, walking a path to enlightenment or centeredness. They're going to talk about chakras. And a lot of times they Africanize it. They claim that black people originated this or the black people did this. And I see that uh, YouTube is messing up. You can go to q4.org if you're looking at YouTube because the connection is, is wonky today. I apologize. I really can't address it on the air. But I digress. I'm sorry about that. So they'll have, and a lot of people don't even know where these concepts originate from. They don't even know that it's Hinduism. They just say, well, it's because spirituality, you can literally develop a spirituality that draws from several. You can go to Islam. You can go to Christianity. You see a lot of elements of Christianity being Christ-like in, in people who claim they're spiritual but not religious. But Hindu and Buddhism, the, 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 the Asian, Southeast Asian and Asian spiritual teachings, the I Ching, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, these concepts are very attractive to people who claim, who in their own minds believe that they have abandoned the white man's religion or Western religion. But, but, but jumping from Christianity to Hindu, Buddhism, or some amalgam of that is no better than jumping from Christianity to Islam. Because I hate to inform you, Hinduism and Buddhism are just as hierarchical, sexist, and even racist as Christianity. They have engaged in massive enslavement, genocide, oppression. And I know y'all go see movies like Seven Years in Tibet and Free Tibet Movement. Tibet was, there was no such thing as free Tibet. If you go to and drive China out of Tibet, then you're going to return. Uh, Tibet was a slave economy. The peasants there were owned by the, 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 the monks. And it was a, an extreme, a, a society of extreme exploitation and, 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 uh, and uh, oppression. And that's why when the Chinese came, I mean, there's a, there is a, a book called Seven Years in Tibet, and it's about a Nazi who went on a mountain climbing expedition in Tibet. And just like, remember I talked about how the Nazis escaped after World War II and came into Latin America and found a very, very receptive culture, a culture of racial hierarchy that aligned with the Nazis' ideology. Uh, some Nazis went to Tibet and were like, "This I can vibe with this. This caste system here is all we was trying to do. Why are people mad at us? When we got culture, so a lot of times, but because we're so distant, Buddhism, there's like a Buddhist temple somewhere. But for every Buddhist temple you pass, you're going to pass by literally a thousand churches and at least a hundred mosques. So because it is such a rarity, it is considered exotic, even though there are more, there are billions of people who believe in these systems. Billions, literally billions. There are more Buddhist, Hindu, Hindu and Buddhist than there are of Christians in the world. But um, it's exotic here in uh, the United States. So you get a black person from the United States don't want to worship the slave master's religion. You just don't want to worship the religion that enslaved you. But you don't mind worshiping a religion that enslaved other people. And and some of the overlapping or fundamental tenets because the and also there's really no God. They're not. Buddhism is a non-theist religion. So people think, oh, I don't believe in gods, but it's a religion. That's I told you, you don't need a God to have a religion. Religious practices can be, I mean, no, no religion has a God. Even if they claim they pray to a deity, they have not demonstrated, they have not proven the existence of any of these deities. So really, every religion 
is without a God. Some pretend or make believe that they have a God, but there's no God that, oh, when two are gathered uh, in my name, I am among them. Nope, mm -mm, ain't nothing. There's nothing, no change in air pressure, no change in temperature, nothing, no evidence that any type of supernatural force is acting on that group. So Buddhism say there is no God, there is only the way. Whereas Hinduism say, yeah, there are hundreds, thousands of gods, gods everywhere. You know, we got gods for everything. We got gods for squatting. We got gods for standing up. We got monkey gods, rat gods, elephant gods, sexy, sexy, multi-armed freak mama gods. God for, I mean, they're sick with God. But anyway, there are, even though you got a non-theist religion and a theistic, polytheistic religion, uh, you have the enlightenment, the, the path to enlightenment, uh, they both come from essentially the same source, but the things that they believe in is karma, dharma, and reincarnation. And reincar and you find a lot of spiritual people talking about, I'm not even going to act because karma, and you're going to get yours. And so, But that's not what karma is. Karma is one of the most toxic concepts ever conceived of by man. Ever conceived of by man. It is as bad as the concept of original sin. It's worse than the concept of original sin, really, because the concept of original sin basically puts everybody in the same box. I know everybody in, in, in theory as it's written down, because we know when when humans write stuff down, it could be the greatest thing in the world. We felt we very seldom fail to live up to our high ideas. That's why our ideas have to be super high, because you, your ideas have to be so great, so good, so refined. So rational that if you only get halfway to living up to the, your written ideas, then you're you're better off. So, you know, these low level ideas, because if you write something down, it's crappy. You know, we not, never live up to to our aspirations. We're human. We're only human. Flesh and blood were made. I ain't going to break into a song. Don't get scared. But karma is worse because original sin says everybody's born into sin. The wealthy white man, the poor, wretched uh, slave, the, 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 the oppressed black man, the, the Asian, everybody's born with the same level of sin and distance from God. And you as an individual within your lifetime can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or whatever the Mormons, basically uh, the Mormon, the various Christian sects, or, or if you're a Muslim, they also believe in original sin. You, you can live a life of a good Muslim, follow the law, bump your head on the floor at the mosque and, and, and refrain from pork. Or if you're a Jew, you keep the Sabbath holy. Whoop, 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 whoop. All these things you can do to get closer to God. You're born away and, and sinful and you became, become clean and washed and become white as snow. That's why, you know, all that and, and, and get closer to God, Allah, Yahweh. Karma don't play that. Karma means that it ain't got nothing to do with you. Well, I was rude to my neighbor, so I got a flat tire. That ain't what karma is. That's how the West interprets karma. And it is a severe misinterpretation. You know, if I walk down the street and I kick a puppy and then when I get to the, by the time I get to the end of that block, I stumble and fall and skin my knee. That was karma. You shouldn't have been mean to that puppy. Or if you, if, if uh, people say, well, Flavor Flav didn't do right by Chuck D. So now with Flavor Flav, when he put out a new album or do a new reality show, it's going to flop. That's karma. That's not karma. What karma is, is you in this life have to pay for the sins of a life that you never lived and you don't have any recall of. What karma dictates that is that I was born to a slave woman 
and and that slave woman is of the lowest caste she's of a dalit class the untouchable caste and then that slave woman has several children and she has to sell some of her children off in order to feed the other children and one of the children i'm the child that she sells off and i have to go work at a child brothel at the age of six years old i'm in a brothel as a child prostitute and then men wealthy men fly in from japan and fly in from from europe and the united states to to exploit and take advantage of me sexually and when i'm not being uh, raped by adults i have cleaning duties and a festering disgusting uh, uh uh slum and i have to clean out i have to maybe carry out some of the dead bodies of the girls who've committed suicide or have died from untreated disease uh sexually transmitted diseases i take their bodies to the river ganges and toss it in and then get back to the brothel before sundown and i have to go back to my duties as a vic- as as a rape victim and if I go through all that, the reason I'm going through that is not because of the, the colonial condition and exploitation, not because of the evil, sick, twisted mind of the pedophiles that raped me, not because of the system of untouchability and, and, and the caste system. I'm going through all that for one reason, that in a farmer life, I did not walk the proper path to enlightenment. I didn't adhere to the Vedas. I did not please Shiva or any of the other gods. So I have to go through all these horrible things in this lifetime to inform my next lifetime. So when I die and if I dutifully accept my fate in this world and if I submissively accept my standard of life in this world and if, 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 the, the, if the path of enlightenment leads me through being a child in a child brothel or if the path to enlightenment or if the please to please the gods, I have to live as humbly as a child prostitute. And if I do this without resisting, trying to fight against my karmatic fate, my karmatic destiny, that is called the karmatic debt. You don't pay karmatic debts within your lifetime. You pay it in the next lifetime. So if reincarnation is not real, you're really being effed over for nothing. And you're accepting the most inhumane conditions for nothing. And a lot of victims and victimizers accept this. Saying, and if, if I help that child, if I go to that child brothel and burn it down and take all those children and take them to an orphanage and get them uh, medical treatment, get them psychological counseling, and if I help to get them some education and to go on to live a life and advocate for other children, I am interfering with their karmatic debt. I am doing them a disservice by helping them because I am interfering with their karma. That is the concept of karma. That is how it is applied. And that's why. And that's why if you go to certain nations, these these um, Hindu and Buddhist nations, they have some of the highest rates of child abuse in the caste system. Places like Bangladesh, Malaysia, Taiwan and Thailand, India, some of the highest rates of child abuse and sex trafficking. Thailand has the time and they're all Buddhist countries. There is a book by Kevin Bates called Disposable People. And it's a book about modern day slavery. And there is a section in the book that talks about how Buddhism and Hinduism and these East Asian religions by default by default 
have large levels of child prostitution and child sex trafficking. Now, I'm not saying it's just the Hindu and Buddhist countries. You have it in Brazil, too. But but at least in Brazil, which is predominantly Christian, you don't have even though the Bible and the God of the Bible does not. You find I ask people, find me the chapter where it says having sex with children is wrong. Where did God say? I know God said don't kill or steal. Where did he say don't have sex with children? Or show me somebody in the Bible that's been punished for that. I know God said no man pun man. No two consenting women or two consenting adult men can have sex. But he, where did he say you can't? A man and a child. A woman and a child cannot have. Find that for me. But even though it doesn't explicitly, but in the doctrine, embedded in the doctrine, while all these pedophiles, they always fly to Asia. You don't have to go to see it with your own eyes. Just go on the internet. And you see all these white men from the first world countries roaming the streets. Throughout Asia. And it doesn't just happen. It happens in Africa. It happens all over the third world. Economic exploitation. And sexual predation. But in the in the east. They have a spiritual rationalization for it. I was looking all over for that book. Because I wanted to read the direct chapter. I just couldn't find my copy of it. I don't know who has it. Please return if you have my copy of Disposable People. Don't make me. And what's going to happen is when I go out and buy the book. Uh, that's when it'll pop up my my copy but even if I buy the book I have my notes and my highlights in there that I have to read again and do all over again so I don't lend out books somebody just asked me to give them my copy of Sex Prisoners Part 3 by Dale Jones or or Culture Bandits Volume 3 by Dale Jones I'm like why would I give you that book and the, and the sister was like brother you've read it already spread it around uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh, I don't play like that anyway so in the warping of karma and reincarnation that you have to reincarnation isn't just a good thing saying oh I get to live many lives until I reach reincarnation it is punishment they have this concept that 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 the people who were twice born or three times born are born into the higher caste in the caste system and the people who are not Multi, have not had the, the multiple lives or less worthy. So the upper caste people are people who are thrice or twice born and the Dalits and the untouchables are just, and, and so even that's a hierarchy. So, and it also means karma means if I was born and my father was a billionaire like Donald Trump, that means in my past life, I have followed the way I have followed the path of enlightenment I am very advanced I have had many not just many past lives but many prosperous and righteous past lives so in reward for my goodness the Tao for following the way the Tao or the gods the blessing of the gods I was born a billionaire and I live a life of privilege and it's not right for you uh, untouchable who has been bad in your past life to come and try to take my money or deny me my power and my birthright through karma. And so you got all these people who thinking, brother, I know negative energy, brother. And I, yeah, uh, brother, I follow. I am of peace. And, I, and you're following one of the most violent, wretched concepts ever conceived in the mind of delusional men and women. The people that talk this karma and this concept of I am an old soul. 
I am an old soul, meaning I've had many lives. And then they feel like you can't tell them nothing because now they start to believe I can intuit knowledge. I can bring knowledge. And, and then even the I Ching or the Tao Te Ching, Confucian and Buddhists were women haters. These men didn't have nothing good to say about women. Women is earthly, low, bestial energy. So all these people you see with all these, you know, statues and shrines in their homes that go around talking about karma and negative energy, negativity, talking about their chakras and meridians. And there is no evidence of chakras or meridians. Don't get your ass killed and end up dying over a curable disease because you think you just need to align a chakra and open a meridian when you need to take your ass to the hospital. You know, so there's no evidence of that. And you got people trying to live their entire lives based on make believe. That is the problem with spirituality. There's so much more I can say. And I know I'm wrong about everything I'm saying. Spiritual people are going to be like, oh, no, brother, you. Oh, no, 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 no. And of course I'm wrong because. You know, you know, people online in my community debate there's this on i follow 40k lore 40k the the 40,000 41st millennium i follow i play the video games and i follow the lore says that is the era of grim darkness and they compare and they they like to do these comparisons saying that would darth vader be able to survive the grim darkness of 40k how would darth vader thrive or how would the the stormtroopers fare against the katachan jungle fighters these are all fictional concepts so I can contemplate and I could be wrong and right at the exact same time. I say the Katachan jungle fighters from the 40K universe could defeat a regiment of stormtroopers because they have guerrilla skills and all these things that are made up about them. And I am I right or wrong? There's no way because the Katachan jungle fighters don't exist. But you have people that live their lives. Studying utilizing even trying to apply to their own lives these ideas of the katachan jungle fighters of the 40k universe they're strong hardy men they're men of the jungle oh even the katachan jungle fighters they're not a sexist culture women have just as much mobility opportunity and get just as much respect and are judged on their merits and capabilities and there is no inherent sexism in the katachan uh culture you know so even people could be like, man, I really, I play these games. I play the 40K games and the tabletop games and I read the, the lore and the fiction and I recognize elements within this that I'm going to live my life by. I'm going to live like a Katachan jungle fighter. I'm going to be strong and bold and fearless. Yeah, that's all good. As long as you acknowledge this is a fictional thing that I'm trying to draw real world understanding and 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 information and, and help guide me as long as you understand that it's make-believe and you can't be right or wrong about it so i know a lot of spiritual people don't like hearing you can't talk about spirit because spirit you can't grasp it. It, it 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 moves away so the moment you find a criticism against a spiritual person they're going to be like whoa uh-uh that's not me uh brother now you don't understand i nobody can you don't understand either because there's no standing about to get Hotepian on you. The core of the, 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 the root of the word understand means to stand. And before you can understand, you must have a foundation to stand on. I hate to, I mean, when you're talking about ethereal stuff, it's impossible to debate ethereism. 
It's like Dr. Khalid said. He calls it spiritualism, spirituality. He calls it spookism. A strong emotional belief in a non-existent nothing. A strong emotional belief in a non-existent nothing. And you're like, well, why, why? If somebody want to burn sage and get some crystals and, 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 and have a bunch of crystals and copper and scale model pyramids and resin embedded with petals and all the stuff spiritual people do, if that makes me feel better about myself, if that helps me to navigate this horrible world, if that gives me a greater insight into who I am as a person, who are you to judge? I'm not a person to judge. I'm Bro Diallo. But let me say, there are not a negative impacts that come of that. Because if all of your spirituality is locked into just your home or your personal space or as you navigate the world, ain't nobody should mess with you. If you really want to believe you have past lives and you really believe anybody that wrongs you is going to have misfortune, so everybody has misfortune, so karma can't lose. So if I walk down the steps right now, I leave the radio show, and I got I know I got to make it home safe because they're going to be like, see, Bro Diallo did that show on spirit, black spirituality, and then he had a car accident, or he fell down the steps, or he got a splinter and stubbed his toe. See, brother, that's what happens. That's a message you better receive. The ancestors are speaking to you. No. Everybody, I'm go- something bad going to happen to Bro Diallo. I have good times and bad times, good days and bad days. I could go home and Dr. Mingo could have packed up both the kids and the whole house and left me. Nah, she ain't that kind of woman. I'm the kind of dude that got, come home and the house, the locks are changed. She ain't giving up. She ain't coming off nothing. You know, I just, I know the woman I married. And she ain't one of the people that going to pack up and run. She's one of them kick out women. But anyway, either way, if that happened to me, y'all going to be like, oh, see, shouldn't been talking all that stuff. See, they didn't took your woman away. The, the ancestors took your woman away. You better learn that lesson, brother. And then if I think that, yeah, the ancestors are punishing me, I don't have to be like, well, dang, man, I shouldn't have got that hoochie pregnant. Or I shouldn't have, you know, been neglecting her needs as a woman. Or I shouldn't have been an ass. Or I shouldn't have been absent. I should have been more. I should have loaded the dishwasher. Who knows? Instead of me looking at myself as a person, I can put it on some ethereal supernatural force. And instead of correcting myself, I can burn some shades or an erector ancestral shine or I will build a shine to Yemaya and Oshun to bring love into my life. And I put some honey on a on a on some uh, put write my write my wife's name on a, a piece of paper, pour some honey on it and then fold it up and put it in the freezer. And that will make her sweet to me. And all these these rituals, all this BS, instead of just saying, hey, I should have done what I should have done. I shouldn't have done what I knew I shouldn't have done. And you were right to leave. And if you give me an opportunity, I'll correct my behaviors and you should come back. No. And that's one of the problems with spiritual people. I had a a spiritual brother. He went to the Fahami Temple. He followed the the, 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 uh, Asara Set Society. The most spiritual brother you know. Dude stabbed me in the back so hard. And when I stepped to him like man how could you betray me everybody betray me I said dude why would you do me like that and he said because the universe was out of alignment it wasn't because he was an asshole because of the alignment or misalignment of the stars then everything is whack so he can excuse his own behavior and instead of correcting himself he can just wait for the celestial bodies to realign and all things will be made whole and therefore if I don't forgive him for betraying me then and betraying me to the point, and this was serious, like something, I was in handcuffs behind this dude. I was in handcuffs. It wasn't just no minor, you know, you borrow my car and then put, it was a serious betrayal. And not no borrow a car and, and bring it back empty. And he said it was the stars aligned. So that's one of the problems. 
You got things like the secret. You're telling people who are oppressed and struggling that their suffering comes from their failure to ask the universe for what they want because they are negative thinking. Use negative thinking is appropriate. If you were, if you don't have the capacity to think and dwell on negativity, you have a delusions of grandeur. You have a clinical mental disease. If you don't have the capacity to say I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it no more. But they tell you you're poor not because of exploitation, but you're poor because you have negative thoughts. And all you got to do is say, universe, I want insulin. And then the universe will give you insulin if you have true, proper faith. So Oprah was selling that hustle. Oprah pimping you, a billionaire telling you to ask the universe. Like, fine, Oprah, I asked the universe for your billion dollars. Give it to me. Are you going to defy the universe? And then it's a form of escapism. Where people don't have to deal with the real world. They escape into fantasy. And this positive negative energy rhetoric. Instead of dealing with people as they go through things. Like man I know you're suffering. I know you're having this problem. You can talk to me. Oh you got negative energy. I can't have that negative energy around me. What? I only want to be around positive energy. So you have a room full of people. Who in their personal lives got all kind of madness and nobody can connect and, and work and, and share the burden together because there nobody wants to be the negative energy person. You're trying to out positive each other. Positivity is now a competition instead of a state of being all over social media. Everybody's doing great. I walk in the streets of Chicago. I'm stepping over bodies, seeing every poverty, evictions, all this hardship. But I go on social media. It's like a wonderland. And then devaluation of biological life and biological systems, just like in, in the mainstream religions. People start to think the unreal, the ethereal, the mystical is more important than the concrete, than the physical. That is higher. It's always a hierarchy. When they talk about I'm trying to elevate, they're not just trying to elevate within themselves. They thinking they better than you. And then they become this dismissiveness, like people who are not on my level, I, they're not even fully human. They're not even, they're not aware. Their third eye is crusted over. Their, their penile gland is calcified. All this stupid ass rhetoric instead of dealing with people human to human. So in, irrationality, supremacism, uh, individualism, unreality, warp priorities, cultism, pseudoscience with back to the chakras, meridians and crystals and all that mess. There are a lot of harmful things. I once had a brother who was a spiritualist, deeply into spiritualism. In fact, the same brother that told me that universes weren't aligned. He eventually became an, a rationalist, an atheist. And he said being into that spiritual stuff was like being addicted to drugs. And he spent, his mother had passed away, which is kind of how he went into the spiral because he was conscious. He was pro-black conscious. His mother passed away. In a, in, a, in a very unfortunate untimely. She was relatively young. Very. And he couldn't go back to Jesus or go to Islam because he was too woke for that. So he went into uh, Matunda chair and he started following the teachers of Ranu Efra Amin and the Fahami Temple. He got into the spiritual stuff and he started doing the Bull of Ra meditations and, and, and increasing his Zan power and got hell of really in. You know, he went and bought this whole series of books like $1,200, Isis Unveiled, all these big, just all this spiritual stuff. Every week he was at the, 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 the spiritual, the, 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 the store, the botanica, getting magical roots. You know, he was reading these charts and consulting the oracles, got heavily into spirituality, spent his entire inheritance because his mother had an insurance policies and savings and some a home and a car. And he spent 
tens of thousands of dollars with the Asarasset Society, three times that amount with the uh, Fahami system, totally lost everything, lost his friends. He like, I stopped messing with him. Lose your friend. Everything that happens to a drug addict happened to him. And he said, man, being in that spiritual stuff was like being addicted to drugs. And you get this euphoric high. You get high off of, you know, and you think you're above everybody else. Can't nobody tell you nothing. He even told me I was at a low vibration. Brother, you're a lower vibration. He told me one time, you're a lower vibration than I thought you were. You are an admin. I am a sore man. So it's all good. It looks gravy. Everybody, every sister want to be a Badu and brothers out here wanting to be with a Badu. But there is a lot of dark places. And, it, and, and, and when you go to the dark places, when the spirituality and your spiritual practice, black spiritual, I am not religious, I am spiritual. When you start to suffer, that's not a community that's receptive to people who are suffering and struggling. They want to exploit. They were like, oh, you're suffering here. Buy this product, buy this product, come on this retreat, spend this money. And then if you say it, I'm still feel bad. Then, oh, brother, that's on you. That's your that's your destiny. You know, so and I and, and I want to quickly offer some alternatives to spirituality because I know we're human. We need some. So I say rationality. Or what I use in, in, instead, I, you can be a rational person. When you're going through positive or negative things, you keep them in a certain perspective. You're constantly reviewing and reflecting. Your mind is active and engaged, but instead of active on supernatural, it's on the real. Humanism. Humanism or secular humanism is a path to, of, of righteousness, up elevating other people, living your life, with the acknowledgement of, of that other people share this world with you and that they can enrich your life and you, when, and given the opportunity, can enrich the other people's lives. So rationality, humanism, communalism, sharing burdens and sharing resources one with the other. Even if somebody has a different goals than you, you help to carry their goal and help them reach their goal as they feed into your goal. So communalism. Sharing of burdens and sharing of resources. Holism. Holism is looking at the totality, one, understanding that all things are truly connected, not through some supernatural forces, but basic biology and science, ecosystems, biosystems. So the health of the animals is directly related to the health of the humans, the health of the ecosystem, the proper having a proper uh, uh, infrastructure, having a community that's not strewn with trash and waste, a kind word to your neighbor. There's no nothing magical about it. It is physiological, a smile and a nod to to another black man or black woman as they pass you on the street. That is not anything magical or supernatural. That is evolutionary. That is tied to evolution. So we, you don't have to believe in non-existent nothing or construct these elaborate concepts. You can be grounded in flesh and bone reality and still live a full life of joy and still make real valued connections and sustained connections with other people. I don't think anybody has a soul or any type of supernatural element to them, but I value them more. I don't think you had a past life and I don't think you will have a future life or an afterlife. And that's why this life, which is the only life you're going to get, is so valuable to me. It's not just one thing out of many. I value life more than any Christian or any Buddhist or any spiritual supernatural person that believes in karma and reincarnation. I, as an evolutionist who accepts the evidence of evolution 
I who accept the finality that life is what it is in this time and nothing after or before. I value it because it is so rare and so precious. It's not just, uh, oh, this is just a, my a way station. I'm just here until I go on to the, no, this is it. So make the best. Anyway, Bro Diallo Show, Q4 Radio, AM 1680. If y'all wanted to continue the dialogue, you can go to my blog, Tumblr blog at Diallo Kenyatta and, 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 and curse me out or ask me questions. Come on Facebook. We can continue the dialogue via Facebook. But I mean, I got to say this. There's a lot of enlightened, high vibration people that are suffering. Spirituality is no better than religion. I said it. I often say, and I will continue to say, spirituality is religion for lazy people. And it does more harm than good so far. If y'all spiritualists can, can uh, turn this around, fix a lot of these problems of egotism, economic exploitation, escapism, irrationality, pseudoscience. If you can clean it up, you can fix it. But you can't fix it unless you acknowledge the, the problems within it. Anyway, Bro Diallo Show, Q4 Radio, AM 1680. Tune in app, iTunes Radio. I will be back Monday morning. Uh, also, I, I, I ain't even going to go through the announcements. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time, y'all. I will see y'all on the flippity. I, I will see y'all when, when, uh, Monday morning. Be safe this weekend. Uh, if y'all want to, I know I, I, I'm ruffling some feathers. But, you know, I'll tell you like Dale Jones, this is criticism with affection. Bro Diallo Show. We're going to listen to uh, Let Harmony with Pound Tape take us out. At least that's that's the plan to let Harmony take us out. Come on, Harmony. Where you at? Harmony, Harmony, Harmony. Oh, here we go. Yeah, bar, uh, let me say this. Sorry, Harmony. I didn't mean to interrupt the good sister. There's a Bernie rally in Grant Park this weekend. I know uh, Dr. Mingo will be there. So if you want to say hi to Dr. Mingo, I might go too. I don't even know. But I, I mean, I, I'm voting for Bernie. I support. I'm advocating for Bernie. What, what do you want from me? But there is a Bernie rally in Grant Park here in the city of Chirac, state of Illinois, in the United States of America. I'm not even too far from, from it. I think it's Saturday. No, excuse me. But if you're going to go to the Bernie rally, expect a crowd. Don't drive. Don't drive. Uh, my wife, she's a professor. She, her college is, her university campus is right across the street. So she can get free parking. Unless you got a, it ain't even free parking. It's discount. But unless you got a hookup, don't drive. Take the L. The L will take you there. The Metro train will get you right there. Do not drive. And if you're not going to the Bernie rally because you so black, it hurts, and you so militant and so conscious that you don't mess with U.S. politics, fine. I'm still telling you, you don't want to drive around downtown uh, this weekend because of the Bernie rally. It's going to be crazy. Anyway, but and I'll post it on, on my site because I don't have the details here. Okay, now. Now can I get off the air? Go now.